So as we continue to cultivate a mindful awareness, in the context of a metta retreat, but anywhere really, we also want to be mindful of infusing awareness practice with kindness, with friendliness, with warmth. So as you sit, even as you take your seat, notice how you take your seat. As you turn the gaze of awareness inwards and meet and greet your body sitting, however it is, maybe tired, maybe hot and sweaty, maybe achy, is that the simple knowing of that, or is that knowing also infused with some warmth, or with care, or affection, or friendliness, or welcoming? Or does the attitude in the mind have a slight quality of distancing, detaching, slight aversion, avoiding, pushing away, or not so subtle, maybe a little rejecting, wishing it were different, wishing I was cooler, wishing my mind wasn't foggy, wishing my mind wasn't so crazy busy with thinking about everything else but here. I spent the last week at work thinking about the retreat, I spent the first day at retreat thinking about work. Right? We have crazy minds, just the way it is. So can there be an attitude of softness, of receptivity, of simply allowing what's here to be? The acceptance and the allowing is in, in a way an expression of kindness to be not in contention with our experience is an expression of kindness in that when we're in contention, we're suffering. When we're resisting, we're suffering. When we're hating, we're suffering. When we're fighting with our body, with our mind, with our emotions, we're suffering. So the, the heartful practice Kindness is a wisdom practice in that it directly reduces our suffering in the way that we embrace our experience, in the way that we open ourselves to what is, to the truth of what is, whether we like it, whether we have preferences, or something else. Right? So a very hot, muggy, sweaty summer day is a perfect day to practice being with what is. Can I soften into my hot, sweaty body? It's like this. Can I have compassion for my contraction and reactivity to that? Or my contraction and reactivity to 
my knee pain, my backache, my heartache. And so as you're sitting now and the rest of today and you're walking and just be somewhat reflective of what's the attitude in which you're being mindful and can your practice of mindfulness be infused with warmth, with friendliness. So we begin to already sow the seeds and and welcoming of the practice of loving kindness. So beginning the practice, as you may always do, establishing mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of posture. Softening into and allowing the body and its sensations to be as they are. and caring attention. In receiving the sensations of breath, Can there be, at times, a quality of gratitude or appreciation for the lungs, for the heart, for the body breathing itself, keeping us alive? And knowing for yourself when it's skillful to primarily settle the attention to an anchor, to the breath, or to the body, or whatever your particular anchor for your practice is. Or if the attention, the mindfulness, and concentration is more steady, you may also open up to a more choiceless awareness, open awareness. present to the moment-to-moment unfolding of experience of life. And being patient and forgiving each time the attention wanders into thoughts and memories and plans. And with care, 
re-establishing awareness over and over.
I'll close with a poem called Dreaming the Real. I'm looking down, looking at the color of sky falling through trees, dreaming the real, tasting what it feels like to love it. Why did it take me so long to let go? Simply exhale so the day could breathe itself in and open without me standing in the way. How could I forget the grace of my own body, strong as this blue, tender as the white of the wild blossom, warm as the midday light? Let me practice a patience bold enough to hold every weather, trusting the elements, the beauty of rain, all of its shades of gray. I want whatever's real to be enough. At least it's a place to begin and to master the art of loving it and feeling it love me back under my own skin. So there's a cartoon that I think relates to this practice we're doing here today. And there's a picture of a woman standing in line and she's behind a family with some screaming kids in the line. And the thought bubble in her head says, I want to learn to be in the present moment, but not this moment. More like a moment at the beach. So one of the reasons, one of the things you may be discovering as you're sitting, which may not be so new to you, is all the reasons and ways we don't want to be present. Because we don't like it. Because it's hard. Because it's boring. Because it's repetitive. Because who knows why. Because we'd rather have something else. It's a very um, sometimes demanding ask to keep showing up to this, whatever this is, whatever this moment brings, joy, fear, restlessness, boredom, tears, complete confusion, lots of doubt. What the hell am I doing here? Why did I sign up? so much easier last time. What happened? Everybody else seems like they're like Buddhas and I'm the only one who can barely find my breath. Oh, whatever the story is. So, so we keep showing up. That's our practice. So we have a little time for questions about your meditation, mindfulness, sitting, Walking, standing, uh, retreat practice, being in silence. Anything that would be useful for you to ask about, clarify. No question is too small or silly or 
And if you have a question, generally, probably half the room has the same question at some point. So you may be asking the question on behalf of others. Yes, please. Mm -hmm. So the question is, can I describe open awareness? So open awareness is a phrase that sometimes, I mean, depending on who's teaching it, may have slightly different interpretations, but it's often synonymous with choiceless awareness. So there are different ways that we orient with mindful attention. And you can think of awareness like a lens. Sometimes it's very open and wide. Sometimes it's very focused and sometimes very microscopic. And often in the beginning of a retreat, because our attention, because we arrive and our attention is so scattered and distracted that we, in a way, harness the attention to a more focus point, breath, body sensations, sweeping, practice, meta practice, the phrases are a way of harnessing that attention, which is more of a focused attention, concentration, style of attention or mindfulness. And then open awareness is where we're not limiting the, the focal point. We're simply present to the fullness or the totality of our experience. So you may sit down and if you're sitting with open awareness, you're simply present to what, what's here. Maybe sounds, maybe hot, sweaty body, breath, thoughts, feelings, sensations, and the whole flurry and waterfall of experience. So, you know, each each sort of style of practice, it's the, same, it's the same orientation, being present to what is, but it just has a different focal point and different, you know, at times one is more useful or relevant than, than another. Right? So if you're driving, you're, you're mostly in open awareness. If you're moving through the dining room, um, it's mostly open awareness, right? You're present to your body and your plate and people and where you're going and everything else, right? So you need that radial awareness. And, you know, when we're sitting here and you're trying to develop some concentration, then maybe your attention is with the sensations at the tip of the nose, which is a very useful focal point. Then you're more doing a focused style of mindfulness practice. Generally, we sort of move between the two. So is that... Speaking to your question? Yeah. yeah. So generally in the beginning, we're more orienting toward a focused attention just to gather and unify. And the quality of samadhi is where the, the mind is collected and gathered. And for most of us, that can take some days to really have some stability and continuity of attention. 
And then as, as, that, as mindfulness becomes more established and concentration is more accessible, then we can open the attention without getting lost. If we immediately <laughs> practice open awareness for the most part, we can be present for a few things and at some point we just drift off. We get caught in a thought and we're in a thought tunnel for five minutes and then, all right, back, IMS, sitting. What else? Curious what's happening out there in the yogi lands. Yes? Keeping with uh, kind awareness, non-judgmental, curious awareness, if something unpleasant arises, uh, and I have, and the kind awareness isn't showing itself, I have more of a aversion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is unpleasant. I mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the question is about when we're you know, orienting towards kind attention, kind awareness. But say, for example, something's unpleasant, and the natural reaction might be aversion, resistance then do we push that away and try to cultivate kind attention or, or what? So um, definitely not pushing away anything. And th- so normally what happens, so we have the experience and then we have the reaction, you know, pleasant, unpleasant, liking, not liking, wanting, resisting, etc. So the, the kind attention then is brought to the reaction. So if there's a version, can I be with that with a kind attention? Not so easy because the version has a kind of prickly, you know, slightly reactive, contracted, rejecting quality in it, right? So not so easy. But the, the, the weaving in this attitude or the flavor of kindness or friendliness. Another way of thinking about it is it's a, it's a quality of acceptance or quality of surrender. And so you have the unpleasant, maybe you're hot and sweaty and you don't like being hot and sweaty. And then the aversion comes and the wanting to, you know, turn up the AC, go have a shower, whatever. And the, what, what I call the kind attitude in that moment is, is really simply surrendering into what is, with, which is both the sweatiness, the resistance to it, and being in non, not being in contention with it. Because right? it's the contention that causes the suffering. Like the aversion is suffering, and then usually we have aversion to the aversion, either because it feels unpleasant or we think we shouldn't be having aversion, right? Not very mindful, all the stories and stuff we have about that. It was just layers and layers of arrows that the Buddha spoke about. So, so you're sitting, there's hot or there's pain, there's aversion, 
oh, it's like this. That the acceptance and the like this is a softening into it, which in a way is an expression of kindness. So when I say kind attention, it doesn't mean necessarily that we're feeling lovey-dovey. Right? So, oh, how great, my knee's in pain again, fantastic. No, it's just, oh, here it is, and can I soften into it, because here it is, and if I don't, it's actually more painful. So it's an expression of kindness that I'm, that I'm intending to orient in that way. So, and, and I partly talk about that because for, for me, I know in my own practice where I was very focused for many, many, many years on awareness and clarity. Um, and, uh, but that clarity and awareness often had a slight fragrance of uh, aversion or resistance. Slight, mm, you know, and I wasn't really seeing it. There's a lot of uh, clarity, but at the, Sometimes the, the veils the, of perception uh, uh, or the attitudes are really, are really habitual and we just don't see them. And it's subtly creating a kind of contention with experience. So does that help, does that? Yeah. So, and it's, it's usually the step we miss. There's the experience and then there's a the reaction and we're still trying to figure out how to be with the experience, but we've missed the reaction, which in that moment is the experience. <laughs> right? The initial experience is secondary to the aversion, resistance, hatred, judgment, fear, whatever. Right? That's what we're now letting to be present to. And, we, and there's, there's ways that we miss that so often. So... Other questions? Yes? you explore the notion of noble silence from the audible level to the thoughtful level? Can I explore the concept of noble silence from the audible level to the thought level? As in, it's okay, it's, we're learning how to shut our mouths, but our minds are still really loud and busy, and yes, that. Yeah, so, I, so my, my, my understanding is that the, the concept of noble silence came from the Christian tradition, that phrase. Uh, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure that that's where I understood that. And it referred to the, the, the noise in the mind. And, um, and that's really partly what we're practicing here is we're ennobling, just like we're cultivating the ennobling truths for truths. We're ennobling the mind to, or we're inviting the mind into uh, releasing its habits of chatter, of judgment, of planning, of rehearsing, of regretting, of all the story making that we and ruminating that the mind does, um, and that's somewhat, somewhat out of our control. Somewhat not. Right? We never, we rarely will the thoughts into our meditation. Right? Of all the tens of thousands of thoughts we think a day, right? how many of those did we intend to think? Right? Did you? intend to think about work in this meditation, or your kids, or your dog, or the movie you saw last week. No, it just pops up. It just conditioned out of the mind and history and whatnot. So, um, so the practice is we're seeing that. You know, one of the insights, the first insights, ongoing insights we have about our practice and our mind is 
We think a lot and we're lost in thought a lot. And it's somewhat out of control. Happening by itself, thoughts thinking themselves. And where we have some sort of volition in that is how we relate to it. Are we, in, are we making an enemy of the thoughts? Are we in contention? Are we judging ourselves for thinking? Are we getting frustrated each time we wander off? And you know, can we bring a loving attitude to our busy, scattered, distracted, restless, crazy minds? And that the reducing of the contention will in itself allow some of the thoughts to soften. And then the other thing that we can cultivate is a uh, um, uh, how do I say that? Releasing the fascination with our thoughts. Mostly we're very fascinated with our thoughts. We think they're original. We think they're true. We think they're the best. (laughs) We think they're right. (laughs) You know, on and on, right? And it's, you know, sometimes that's true. A lot of times it's just, who knows where these thoughts come from. So, um, one, of the, one of the things that happened when I, at some point in my practice, I realized my obsession with thinking and always commenting and judging my experience really was, a, uh, was reducing my quality of happiness to be lost in my thoughts. Say, for example, we go for a walk around here in beautiful spring. We can be lost in stories about the woods and the plants and the flowers and the whatever. Or we can be fully sensorily present and have a very powerful experience. If we're just lost in thought as we walk around the loop or in the woods, it's a very um, diminished experience. So, so over time... Um, we can begin to not feel so allured by the thoughts or drawn into them or hooked by them. And we let them be a little more background over time. And in that way, you could say it becomes ennobling and it allows the mind to rest more in, in quiet. Not that the thoughts don't continue to rise, but in my experience, much, much, much less. And even when they do, there's not much interest in them. Is that speaking to what you were pointing to? Sort of, as a follow-up though, mm-hmm. with the repetition of a silent mantra mm-hmm. as a way to be continued in So is the question, is, would the repetition of a silent mantra be... Consistent with or inconsistent with noble silence? Uh-huh. Uh, so would, would the repetition of a mantra be consistent or inconsistent with noble silence? Um, if that was your practice, then it would be consistent with the silence, I would say. Um, tomorrow, we'll be beginning the loving-kindness practice, which is using phrases, which in a way is its own form of mantra, you could say. We don't want it to be a mantra, but it has that same quality of repetition, concentration. Um, so in that way, I would invite you to do that rather than the mantra, since that's what we're doing. Um, so in general, I, you know, I, I encourage people to do whatever the practice is that's being taught. You know? So even if you have a mantra practice, I would say 
be in the, the stream of what we're teaching here, which is simply mindful awareness. You know, mantra is very helpful in many ways, including this point you're speaking to. Um, but I would see today if you can just be with the silence and the embodied awareness as a way of cultivating that noble silence um, rather than using the mantra. But of course, if you do have a mantra practice, it will likely arise. Like if you're a TM practitioner, or you know, the mantra will arise, and that's fine. And then see what else is here in your experience. Okay, thanks. Anything else? Yes. I'm really focused in, or what's arising often is trying to figure out a problem that is from not here, (laughs) from uh, home, and just wondering how to balance. I know we're, we're doing a concentration practice and using an object here. And there's the experience of if you solve a problem, then the concentration is easier, too. You know, so there's, you could just speak to that. Mm. Yeah, so the question's about coming here with problems that we'd like to solve and, and the relationship between that and concentration. If we, if we give some time to the problem, maybe we'll solve it, and then the concentration gets easier, theoretically. <laughs> Usually it will lead to another question, another problem, and that, you know, it's kind of like a never-ending, can be. I mean, not to saying that we can have a problem, it resolves, and all that relaxes, and we can be more here, for sure that can happen. But my experience is, when we give that part of the problem-solving mind attention, we feed it and maybe resolve that problem, but it will may create five other problems, you know, um, or a different layer of that issue, or a different dimension of <coughs> angle. So in general, certainly in, in the formal meditation, sitting and walking, I would just let it go. Just notice that, oh yes, thank you, problem, I'll, you know, not now, not now, not now. Important, but not now. And my experience is the deep, if it's a really deep problem, like, you know, we often arrive at retreats with really important decisions or crises or, um, it's not going to be solved or resolved with that level of thinking, the machinating, ruminating mind. It really needs to be resolved, you know, deeper level, heart, body, intuition. And so one of the things I recommend is you, is you, hold the problem and you and you ask, you make an intention, may the deepest clarity about this issue arise in the context of this retreat, and then you let it go. It's like you're giving it to your unconscious. You're giving it to the, you know, the, the mind is always, and the brain is always processing whether we're conscious of it or not. And I find that in the silence and stillness, or maybe I'm walking out, you know, up and down outside, and suddenly the, the clarity arises. And it usually comes out of the space and the stillness and the silence. So, you know, at the end of the retreat, maybe the last day or the last afternoon or something, you know, if there's no resolution, you know, sometimes you bring that issue back up and go, okay, I've had a week of stillness and silence and heartfulness. 
much better place to look at that. And we'll probably see it from a different light anyway. And then we give it some attention. Okay, maybe do a little journaling. What's here now in relationship to this thing, this issue? But I wouldn't try and process it. I mean, processing will happen anyway, and it will bubble up at times. But I wouldn't volitionally do that because it just, it's, it's a thin end of the wedge. You know, I'll just give it one minute at the beginning of the practice <laughs> and 20 minutes later, all right, meditation. Oh yeah, okay, let's put this down. <laughs> all right, so. Yeah. All right, there was, there was a hand back there. But the other, yes? How would I define the difference between meta phrases and mantra? I don't know. <laughs> um, well, I would say that, and we'll say a lot more about the phrases you know, in days to come, but I would say the intention with the meta phrases is for them not to be a mantra. Because right? with a mantra, and with anything, we can do it very automatically, very rote, and the phrase, the, the important thing about the phrase is the meaning of the phrase, the intention behind the phrase, the energy of the phrase, right? And so that's what we're connecting to in the phrase. We're not just saying the words. So um, if we are just saying the words, it can become like a mantra and it loses its, its, its depth, its gravitas, right? So, you know, so saying the words, Saying the phrases, you know, slowly, meaningfully, genuinely, carefully, and in that way, it's it almost has a reflective quality in it that's quite different than the repetition of a mantra. Not that not that the mantra doesn't have its own range of depth and subtlety and richness and fullness and devotion and and all, but uh, the phrases are very, feel very different in that way. And as I say, we'll, we'll get into more of that. Yeah. All right, so thank you for your questions. There's some time for walking, and then we'll have tea or dinner at 5.15. Okay, thank you.